0: All right. Good morning. Good morning everybody. Good to see you. I'm if it's your first time Cots, I'm one of the pastors here. We are going through a series through the book of Revelation. And yes, it is we we for the past few weeks we went through a series on how to read the Bible. And now we're testing it out to see if if I taught you guys enough to actually do this. We're jumping into the deep end of the pool, guys. Okay. So, um If you're like, I I still don't understand Revelation, you are joining the millions of people in the world who don't understand the book of Revelation. I'm just trying to figure it out for myself, and I'm trying to pass on to you whatever I can figure out. Um, But we are not going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because if we did, we'd be here for another few years, right? So uh, what we're doing instead is we're just going through themes, there are themes in the book of Revelation, and it's spread throughout the entire book. So it's not like there's one chapter about one, this topic and another chapter on this topic. It's like, it's like a, I don't know, like a movie or, or like Star Wars, right? They're like, Luke is doing this. Meanwhile, Yoda is doing this. Meanwhile, they're doing this. And then there's a swipe screen, and they show you what they're doing. It's kind of like that. There's a lot of things happening. And so we're just picking threads from the book of Revelation and talking about them. We're not going to go through every single theme that's in Revelation, Um, But the ones that I thought were kind of interesting, that's what we're going to go over. Okay, so before we begin today's theme, today will be the first theme. Last week was an intro to the book of Revelation. Uh, There's two things I want to go over with you guys because these two things will help you understand um, the way that we're going to approach this book. Okay, the first thing we need to know is this, and I talked about this last week. Revelation was never meant to be read without knowledge of the Old Testament and first century Roman culture. If you don't know what the Old Testament says, if you're not familiar with the verses, welcome to everybody else in the world, right? And if you're not too familiar with the first century Roman culture, also welcome to the rest of the world because we're all like trying to figure out what happened back then. And so because we don't know much about the Old Testament and the first century Roman culture, that's why we're studying it together. Okay, that's the first thing I want you to know. The second thing I want you to know is this idea called hyperlinks. I, I borrowed this term from somebody else this is not what biblical scholars call this. They call it references, but I'm going to call them hyperlinks because I have a feeling, just an inkling, that you guys are more familiar with websites than you are Bible. Okay, so that's just my guess. So, what are hyperlinks? So, here's a Wikipedia page. If you type in the name Jesus, this is a you know his article. He has his own page. Good for you, Jesus. And as you read, it says Jesus also referred to as Jesus Christ, Jesus Nazareth, Nazareth, and several other names and titles. You see, it has blue right here. So you would double click on that, and then it gives you a whole article about what names and titles are. And then once you figure that out, you go back into this article and you're reading, it's like, oh, he was a Jewish preacher and a religious leader. So you double click on that hyperlink, it'll take you to another article that tells you what a religious ruler was back then, right? Christianity, world's largest religion, there's all these hyperlinks, right? So this is how we're going to approach a lot of the Bible. This is something that we didn't talk about when we were talking about how to read the Bible. But we're gonna be doing a lot of this. The main reason why the book of Revelation is so difficult to understand is because it is filled with hyperlinks. So that's the second thing you need to know. So if you're like, how come we can't just go through the book of Revelation without stopping? It's because there's a whole bunch of things that we need to know before we move to the next word. So today we're looking at the first theme, which is this, the lion and the lamb. We just sing about it, the lion and the lamb. You guys, this is one of those titles where you're like, I've heard people talk about the Lion and the Lamb. It's referring to Jesus, right? Yeah, right, and, um, but have you ever stopped to wonder why they call him the Lion and the Lamb? Right, because this is a title. These are two titles of Jesus, and a title often gives you a context. So for example, if somebody says, "cots," the father and the pastor. Okay, so it tells you my relational status. Like, okay, so I have kids right? And if it's his pastor, okay, so he's probably a preacher. He he oversees a congregation, right? It gives you an idea, a topic, or a a category to put me in. And so when the writers of the book, when the writers of the Bible uses phrases like, oh, Jesus is the lion and the lamb, what categories are we talking about? Like, what is the reference that these people are making? So I'm going to give you the answer right now. These things, these titles right here, is referring to this question, how does Jesus win? We talked about how Jesus is a victor. He wins at the end of the story. Well, how does he do that? These titles give you an insight as to how Jesus wins. So that's what we're going to do today. And today we're going to start from Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to move to different parts of Revelation. Okay, so if you ever read Revelation for yourself, you know, you'll come across those verses, and you'll be like, oh, I remember Koss talking about that. Okay, so let's begin. We talked about this last week, but we're just going to go over it again. I saw, this is John, the writer of Revelation, he says, I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Okay, so he who is sitting on the throne is God the Father. He's holding up a scroll, which we talked about this last week, it's an image of the Roman emperor at the time who held a scroll in his right hand, and that's his statue, he's like, yeah, right? And on the scroll, there are names, his divine names written on it, and this is John's way of saying, well, Our God has names of, uh, his divine name on both sides saying like, yeah, his his list is longer. They like to compare size, you know, I don't know why they do that. But okay, right, so they're saying that. Now, this is God the Father sitting on the throne with a scroll in his hand. But there's another meaning to this scroll. If you look through the scriptures in the Old Testament cultures, the scroll also could imply that there is a plan that God has for the world. And it's been written on this scroll. And whoever could open this scroll is the one that is going to implement that plan for this world, okay? So let's keep reading. I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who is the one that's going to read it out loud and implement what's written on the scroll, right? Who here is going to unveil the plan for the history of humanity? Where are we going to go from this? The world is broken right now. Who's going to fix it? Well, let's see. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. The, uh, the idea here is this. You could have God's perfect plan, and it, like, it's like, point, like step one to step 10 written out in front of you. If I were the one to implement it, I would mess it up because I'm not perfect. So here is God's perfect plan for the world. And the question is, who is the one that's gonna implement it? Who is perfect enough? Who can love perfectly? Who can have the right judgment in every situation? Who is the one that is going to have the responsibility of reading it and then implementing it? So they're looking around. Any, any volunteers? Any volunteer? Anybody here that's perfect? Raise your hand if you're per- Nobody, nobody, next verse. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. The question here is, are we destined to be stuck in this broken world for the rest of humanity? Now, the next part is where the story starts to pick up. Okay, and I know you're like, whoa, no, it's been thrilling already. What do you mean it's gonna, no, it's about to pick up big time. Now, I want you to pay attention because right here, John is first going to hear something and then he's gonna see something, okay? Hear something, then hear something. Well, hear something, then see something. Listen and then look, okay, here we go. Then one of the elders said to me, so this is what he's hearing, do not weep, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. Okay, this is where we're going to do the hyperlink thing. We're going to double click on the lion of the tribe of Judah because we're like, what does that mean? What is the meaning? What is the story behind that? Okay, the hyperlink will take you to Genesis chapter 49. And before we go there, I want set, to set up the, the story here. There's a guy named Jacob. He has many kids. He has at least 12, he has more, but we'll just say he has 12 sons. And his name is now changed to Israel. Jacob, AKA Israel, is looking at his sons and he's saying, God has promised me that we are going to be a nation one day. And each of my sons are gonna be the leaders of a tribe. So just like the United States has 50 states, Israel has 12 tribes, 12 sections, right? And each of my kids, Uh, You know, you're you're already adults. You're not going to see your family turn into a tribe yet. But eventually, each of your families is going to be a tribe. And so now before I die, Jacob's about to die in this story, I'm going to prophesy over you. I'm going to tell you what your tribe is going to be in the next few generations. Okay, so he looks at his oldest one, Reuben. Hey, Reuben, Um, you're the oldest. That means you had all the privileges. You had all the power. But let me tell you, this is my prophecy for you. You're gonna lose your power. Okay, next. <laughs> next, Simeon, I, I, let me tell you what God has for you and your tribe. You know, your, your tribe is gonna be cursed because you have an anger problem and your, your children are gonna scatter, so sorry about that. Okay, next, Judah, my boy Judah. This is what he says about Judah. This is the hyperlink, okay? Judah, your brothers will praise you like the other 11 tribes are gonna look at you and say, oh, great Judah, right? Your hands will be on the neck of your enemies. You will be choking people, like your enemies. Your father's son will bow down to you. And all the 11 brothers are like, excuse me? <laughs> it's like, yeah, not right now, but in the future, the other tribes are going to be bowing down to you. Why? Because you are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. You, uh, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who, excuse me, who dares to rouse him? Now, what image comes to mind? Does does Judah seem like a really nice guy? Do you think the tribe of Judah is like, hey, you know what, you want want peace? Let's go over to the tribe of Judah because that's where we're gonna find peace. No, 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 no. You're supposed to get this image of a ferocious predator. Right, don't, if he's taking a nap, tiptoe around him because if he wakes up, if you're the one that wakes him up, he's gonna eat you for breakfast, right? That's, That's the image you're supposed to get here. Let's keep going. This is his dad telling his son, this is what gonna, your tribe is going to look like. The scepter will not depart from Judah. This is an image of a king. It's like you are going to be royalty, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. So, what is he talking about here? They're saying, Judah, your tribe is going to be strong. Military. These are military words. These are, you're you're going to be strong at war. Now, just imagine, a few years after this, the entire nation of Israel falls into slavery. They're in Egypt, okay? And night and, night and day, they're praying to God, God, please save us, please save us. And then somewhere along the, that story, somebody reminds, is, remember, is reminded of the story of the prophecy that J- Jacob had for his son Judah, which is, hey, remember how our great, 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 great grandfather said to Judah, hey, one day from your tribe is gonna be this king. And this king is like a lion. And he's going to be choking the enemy while all the other people are bowing down to him. It's like, yeah, it's like, that's what we need. Pharaoh has oppressed us long enough. We have the, tribe of, we have the lion of the tribe of Judah come, like, coming in one of these days. So let's just make sure that when he comes that we, 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 we roll out the red carpet because we need justice. We're hoping for this warrior king to show up one day who is going to rule with intimidation, with force, and with power because he is a predator. No other nation is going to mess with us once we have the, the, the king of Judah show up one day. So for a long time, for hundreds and hundreds of years, these people prayed for this lion of Judah to show up. So when Jesus shows up and he says that he is the Messiah, he is the king of kings, everybody started thinking that he was going to lead a group of people into war against Rome. And it makes sense because they've been hoping for the lion of judah to show up right okay so that's the hyperlink here so let's go back so next verse this is revelation 5 5 again the one of the elders said to me do not weep see the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david has triumphed so there's a scroll who's going to open the scroll who's going to control human history because right now we're being oppressed by domitian what are we going to do what are we going to do John hears a voice, look on the throne, the tribe, like the Lion of Judah is there. He's expecting to see a mighty warrior wearing like a, like a shiny breastplate with a sword in his hand with a shield. He's like, yeah, let's go. Uh, Tonight we dine in, in this case, heaven, right? Like, it's like the whole 300 scene. Okay. That's what he's expecting to see. Okay. But then remember what he hears and what he sees are two different things. What does he see? next verse oh oh sorry the, okay this is my summary the prophesied militaristic messiah will win our battle against the enemy that's what they believed okay now remember that's what he heard that's the image that's in his mind what does he see instead then i saw a and they're like a ferocious lion right no no he sees a what a lamb and so you're like wait 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 a lamb it's like okay He must be like a buff lamb, you know, like, like, bad, you know, right? Like, okay. But what does he say? Looking as if it had been slain. Okay, well, okay, you know what? John is like trying to rile up the crowd right here. He's like, okay, I I see what John's doing. I hear about the lion. I look over there, and I see a lamb that's slain, but that's probably the pet of the master, like the lion, right? Is that right? Right, and... Standing at the center of the throne. Oh, no, he's the main. Okay, never mind. Okay, and and psych- encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He's the center of attention here. Wait a minute. Are, wait, are you sure this is the guy they've been waiting for? Because I don't think a slain lamb is going to beat down the Roman Empire. Like, how, how... Are you sure this is the right guy for the job? He's the one that's going to open the scroll and lead us to victory? Are you sure? Now, not only is John sure about this, from this point, chapter five, all the way to chapter 19, remember there's 22 chapters in Revelation. So for majority of the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the slaughtered lamb. That's his main title for the majority of the book of, uh, book of Revelation. We're gonna look at the new title he gets in chapter 19 in a few minutes, but for the majority of this book, he's called the, the lamb that's been slaughtered, or slain lamb. And, you know, if, you're, if you want to do a hyperlink on the word lamb, you'll find out that it comes from the book Exodus. We're not going to get into that right now. Okay. So you're like, are you sure this is the guy that's going to take us to victory? He's like, oh, yeah. He may seem like a weak, weakling that's been slaughtered. But here's another thing that we know about the lamb. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Horn is an imagery, a symbol of power. It's like, no, he's the one, he's the one with the power, and he has the eyes, that means he can see all things. He's the one that we've been waiting for, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So, John is saying, make no, no mistake, this is not a typo, this is exactly what I meant to say, that the guy at the center of the universe is a slaughtered lamb. Now, how do you think the people in the first century felt when they read this? This is what they thought. The conquering militaristic savior depicted in the Old Testament is actually a conquered lamb. Yeah, okay, how are we doing so far? Are you guys following? Okay, I just want some reaction from you guys, okay, okay. Because if you're like, wow, he seems very weak. This, are you sure he's the one that's like, that has all the power in the world? Yeah, he's supposed to. That's what John's trying to show you, that Jesus in this story looks weak. The one who's supposed to have all the power seems like a wimp. As a matter of fact, he's already been conquered. Then you might be thinking, wait a minute, maybe, okay, John, I think I know what you're doing here. What you're telling me is, the guy who who is supposed to get the victory here, maybe he's just like the mastermind. Maybe he's super smart, but not super buff, you know, like, right? Let me ask you, does he have an army? Right, maybe he's the leader that tells us, snaps his fingers, and everybody goes out and fights the war for him. Is that what you're trying to tell us, John? Does he have an army? Are you telling us something that that we, come on, just tell us something? John's like, yeah, actually, he does have an army. Really? Yeah. Very next chapter, we meet the army. Let's take a look at the army. Uh, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Wait a minute. So his army is also slain? They're also slaughtered. They've already lost. These aren't people. Okay. If you've seen like the Lord of the Rings, the third one. Right? There's like this big ghost army, I don't know what they're called. What are they? Do you know what they're called? I don't know. But like there's this ghost army and these are people who fought in wars and now they're dead and they brought them back to, from life and they went and fought, the, no. These people are not army people who fought in wars and got, was slain and then they brought them back to life. That's not what this is. These are people who were at homes and the Roman army came in and dragged them out of their homes and slaughtered them. So they have no war experience. These are normal folks like you and me, okay? So you're like, wait a minute, so you're telling me that the general of this army is a slaughtered lamb, and his army are a bunch of regular people who have no war experience who are also slaughtered. Got it. Okay, uh, next verse. Can it get any worse, right? They call out in a loud voice How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? This is their way of saying, We want to demand justice, O Lord. How many more unjust deaths must we tolerate before you do something about it? They're whining, right? And this is the army we're talking about. uh, the, The lamb's response is this to this question. Then each of them was given a white robe. Here's a uniform for you to wear while you're complaining, right? And they were told to wait a little longer until a full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Why are we letting these bad guys kill all these innocent people? And Jesus is like, Here's something for you to wear. This is your team jersey, and um, let's just wait a few more years, days—I don't know, months—and wait for more people to die, just like you've been killed. This, this really, this is how we're gonna win? Well, here, here's what they're thinking right here: We have an army of people with zero war experience, and our fearless leader is a slaughtered lamb. Really, this is how we're—this is how the Book of Revelation is gonna end, like? Right? <laughs> like this, this is like, no one expected this. I mean, if you read the book of Revelation for yourself, you probably missed the tone of, of this part of, this, of the text. It's like saying, we need a hero, where is the hero? And then Captain America shows up. Steve Rogers so, shows up, right? And you're like, yeah, I heard that Steve Rogers is here. You look over there and he's the scrawny version before he took the serum that made him strong right? It's like, hey guys, we're here to fight. Oh, and he has a cast on because he broke his arm already. That's the image that he's trying to paint for us. Yeah, book of Revelation, right? And then you're like, wait a minute, wait, 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 I got it, I got it. There's, you know, God is God of everything, right? So maybe he's going to strike thunder upon these people and then, and then they don't even have to go to war because these guys are not fit to fight wars and the lamb is definitely already dead almost. So there's no way, right? Like, We're not going to go, this is just for show, right, God? Like, there is no war that's going to take place. I thought you had me for a while. Like, no, 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 no. Chapter 7, let's take a look. Then I heard a number of those who were sealed. Now, this is a huge hyperlink. I'll talk about it in a second. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. Let's keep going. There's a long list here. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Eschar, 12,000. Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. And Benjamin, 12,000. Huge hyperlink here. If you were to double click on that, it'll take you to the book of Numbers chapter one. Where you'll see exactly this text listed for you. What is this hyperlink trying to tell us? In Numbers chapter one, when they have this long list of tribes with how many people in each from each tribe, this is a census they were taking before they went to war. This large text right here, this huge hyperlink here, is telling us they are now getting ready for war. So like, yeah, Jesus is serious. We are gonna go to war with these people who have already been slaughtered. That's what's happening here. So you're serious, like yeah, we're serious. This is our, this is our army and we're gonna go right now. So after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, no one could count. Wait a minute, didn't we just count 12,000? You... He's like, that's just a hyperlink. Those aren't actual numbers. What I'm trying to say here is there's so many people here that we couldn't even count them from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. The hyperlink said that you know uh, um, they're all from Israel, but he's like, no, that was just a hyperlink. What I'm trying to say is there's this huge amount of people from all tribes everywhere in the world. They're all coming together, and they're all slaughtered people. Okay, let's keep going. They were wearing white robes and were holding, and you're like, okay, I got it. They are holding swords, right? They're holding swords. Please let them be swords. Or you know what? This is, if this is going to happen in the future, um, maybe a gun or maybe, I don't know. New, I don't know what, right? Please, guns, guns, guns. Let's see, what is it? Palm branches, okay. Palm branches, okay. What is a palm branch? Hyperlink to that. Palm branches are symbols of victory. So wait, we have this slaughtered lamb that's leading an army that's already slaughtered who have no war experience and uh, they're wearing white you know because that's their uniform and uh, they're holding a sign of victory wait you haven't even gone to war yet why are you already celebrating victory here uh, is this like wishful thinking is that what it is right <laughs> okay chapter seven then one of the elders asked me these in white robes who are they and where did they come from i answered Well, you know the answer to that question. Oh, yeah. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation, meaning they've been slaughtered. They've seen some pretty bad stuff in their life. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Have you ever tried washing white robes with blood? Does it turn out white? No, right? But (laughs) this is just to show us that he's speaking a lot in, in symbolism. There's a lot of things happening here. Basically, what they're saying is these people are ready for battle. Okay, so from chapter seven, we skip all the way to the end, which is chapter 19, when the lamb's name and description changes to a man and a white horse. Let's take a look at that, chapter 19. The war hasn't started started yet. The battle hasn't started yet. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. He hasn't done that yet, but he has the right to do that. He has the right to wage war. Okay, in case you're not sure who this is, his eyes are like blazing fire. That's a hyperlink to the book of Daniel where there's this character called the Ancient of Days. And he's basically the Messiah. And on his head are many crowns. Again, another hyperlink there to the book of Daniel, but also a hyperlink to the Roman culture. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Hyperlink to the book of Exodus when God reveals his hidden name to Moses. Okay, the next part is where I want to slow down because I've been talking really fast. The next part of the book of Revelation is the most graphic and most violent and most rated R part of the book. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't know about the hyperlink. So let's take a look. He, the guy that's on the white horse, is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. Okay. So he's, he's riding a white horse, wearing a robe, and is dipped in blood. Okay. Next verse. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on horse uh, on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. The army is wearing the same thing as the guy in the, in the front. Coming, uh, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, which is a reference to the word of God. He's speaking truth with which to strike down the nations. Okay. And then they say he will rule them with an iron scepter. That's a Hyperlink to Psalm 2. You don't have to know these things, by the way. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Okay, where's the rated R part? Right there. It's the winepress part. Why? Because that's a hyperlink. If you double-click on it, it'll take you to Isaiah chapter 63. What is Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 63? Let's take a look at that. Who is coming from Edom from Bozrah? with his garment stained in crimson, stained crimson. Like there's a guy from the sunset from the south coming in in a white horse and his garment has red on it. Who is this uh, robed in splendor striding forward in the greatness of his strength? Like, it's like a movie, sunset in the background, you see the silhouette of a guy coming and he gets closer and closer, you see that he's wearing white with red on it, okay. It is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. And it's like, oh, it's you, it's God, it's the Lord. So the, the writer asks, why are your garments red like those of one treading the wine press? So he's saying this, were you just stomping on some grapes, you know, to make some wine and some of that just got on your robe? Is that what you were doing? Is that, is that, is that what happened? Let's continue. I have trodden the wine press alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. What is he saying? He's saying, oh, I was stomping all right but I wasn't stomping on grapes. Well, what were you stomping on? Let's continue. I was stomping on their their blood splattered my garments. He says, I stepped on people as if they were grapes and their blood was splattering all over my robe. That's what he's saying here. And I stained all my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance. I did this because I wanted vengeance. The year for me to redeem had come. This is God speaking this is a prophecy, things that's going to happen in the future. This is an image of the Lion of Judah. These people, these Jews, they have been so oppressed, right? If it wasn't the Egyptians, it was the Chaldeans. If it was the Chaldeans, it's it's the Babylonians, it's the Assyrians, it's the Greek, it's the Romans. Throughout history, they've been just on the shorter end of the stick, and they've been praying, we want the Lion of Judah to come. We need vengeance, we need somebody to make the wrong things right. God, when are you gonna come and save us? And in one of the prophecies, here's this man and a white horse coming in with a white robe, with red on it, and they're like, were you just stomping graves? He's like, I was stomping people. And as I stomped on them, the blood splattered all over my, um, my white robe. And that's what you're seeing right now. So, when John is in heaven, and he's saying, who is worthy of opening this scroll, And somebody says, look on the throne, there he is, the Lion of Judah. He's expecting to see something like this. And he looks over there with anticipation and finds out it's not him. It's a lion who's been slain. Uh, It's it's the lamb that's been slain already. This is an image of the the mighty warrior Messiah that, that the Jews wanted. But instead they got something else. They got a lamb. Now here's a quote from Tim Mackey. He's from the Bible Project. This is what he says. The white horse image is a divine warrior image from Isaiah 63, we just read it together. However, the warrior in Revelation arrives in a bloody garment before the battle begins. This is key. Here comes, so remember, the expectation is we can't wait for God to come and stomp on our enemies. That's the image that they're waiting for, to see, right? But instead, in the book of Revelation, when John writes the same story, he writes a story where the guy in the white horse with blood on his robe shows up, but the war hasn't begun yet. So the question is, whose blood is this? John is colliding images. He's showing that Jesus' way of waging war is the fulfillment of all violent Old Testament images. He's saying this, Jesus is covered in blood, but the battle hasn't begun yet. Whose blood is it? The answer, so far, if you read the book of Revelation from beginning to chapter 19, you will discover that the blood belongs to Jesus. He's not covered in the blood of his enemies. He's covered in the blood of himself. He's not here to stomp the enemies. He's here to die for his enemies. He's subverting expectations here. right? He is turning the Isaiah passage upside down in light of the scandal on the cross. Now, at this point, I want to kind of stop and talk about prophecy for a second, okay? Prophecy is basically God telling people what the world will be if you continue in the path you're on right now. Something interesting happened in our history, which is Jesus died on the cross. All the wrath of God came upon Jesus and he took the blow for us. What that means is all the things that you heard about the Lion of Judah will not have to happen in the future because Jesus took the hit for us. So ideally, what John was expecting was, hey, in the future, God's going to come and kick some butt because we've been, un- un- we've been persecuted, we've been hurt, right? And so we can't wait until the day of vengeance. And John reminds everybody, have you forgotten that Jesus died for our sins? That all the wrath of God landed on his son? So that prophecy doesn't have to happen anymore. We're not living in a world where in order for us to win, our enemies have to lose, We're now living in an era where if we want to win, we should also pray that our enemies win, that they are also able to experience salvation. What he's saying is Jesus' death on the cross, the slaughtering of the Messiah, has changed the course of history. All wrath and anger is no longer gonna be poured out on our enemies, it's gonna be poured upon the one we love, who is Jesus. So if we go back to Revelation chapter chapter 19, this is what it says, he is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, his own blood, and his name is the word of God. So, if you are somebody who grew up in the Old Testament world, and you read this passage, you would basically say like, what What just happened? Whose blood is this? I thought it would be, the, when I read Isaiah 63, I thought it would be the, uh, the enemy's blood, but you're saying that Jesus is covered in his own blood. Wait. What is John doing here? John took an Old Testament image of victory through violence and subverted it. It's like, right? I think we live in a world where our imaginations have been captured by like superhero movies, right? And war movies and cowboy movies, westerns, where the only way to gain victory is by destroying the enemy, right? But what John is trying to reteach us right now is that Jesus' victory is through self-sacrifice, not through conquest. This is why the army of the lamb is also people who have been slaughtered, covered in their own blood. <laughs> really Jesus, can you really win a war by doing that? Can you really win people by doing that? And this is why in the very next verse in, John, uh, in Revelation 19, this is what it says. On his robe, on Jesus' robe, who just slaughtered himself for everybody else, and on the thigh, he has this name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. He's gone the highest place in the universe, not by conquest, but through selflessness, through love. And this is John's way of saying, you want to achieve greatness? Don't do it through hurting other people. Do it through love. Do it through self-sacrifice. Um, I'll be honest with you guys, growing up in the church, um, the way that I was taught the book of Revelation was, uh, there was this, they didn't say this like plainly, but um, there was this underlying uh, tone to the way that I was taught how to read the Book uh, book of Revelation, which is just stay true to God, and on the day that God deals with these people in a violent way, you'll be like, oh, I'm so glad I was on Team Jesus, right? It made me want to look forward to the future when the bad guys got what they deserved right? And we call that justice, right? Like, yeah, that's what we're looking for. Tim Mackey continues. He, he says this about that. Interpretations that nudge us to look forward to a future cataclysm of violence by Jesus is a betrayal of Jesus. He's saying, if you were taught to read the book of Revelation, to believe that Jesus is actually killing our enemies and he's bathing in the blood of our enemies, he's like, that's a betrayal of the character of Jesus right? Well, what do you mean by that? Next part of the quote. It makes us believe that his death on the cross was his way of being nice for a short moment in history. It's like, oh, Jesus loves us so much that he would die on the cross, he'll sacrifice himself, but that was just for those three years that he was around, because what, what he really wants to do is kill people. Like he's saying, if that's how you've been taught to read the book of Revelation, then it shows his true colors, that God is not a loving God, he is a God of vengeance. He is a God that loves to murder people and have everybody celebrate in their, in their blood. He said, that is a bad interpretation of the Book of Revelation, because if you read it that way, then you have to change the way you view Jesus, and that's not who Jesus is. Right? If he uses the threat of death to achieve peace in this world, then he's no better than Domitian. He's no better than the worst war criminal war lords out there, right? because that's what these people did. They thought the only way to achieve peace in the world is by domination, is by getting people to bow down before him and saying this is how the world's gonna be, now deal with it. Whereas Jesus is depicted here as the one who actually sacrifices on behalf of the people he loves. Okay, so that is the theme of the lion and the lamb. Okay, are you guys following so far? (laughs) I know this is like a lot. They're like, oh, I didn't come this morning to just go to a seminary class. Oh, yeah. So we're gonna move on to application. This is more of the things that a lot of people I heard are interested in, so we'll talk about application. Okay, so what are some things we could learn from what we just talked about today, right? That the lion imagery of Jesus is an Old Testament image of what they expected the Messiah to be like. The lamb imagery is the image of who Jesus really is, who God is supposed to be, we should expect Jesus, Jesus God to be, okay. So what are some applications? Here's the first application I came up with. Violence in the name of Jesus is never, ever allowed, never. Never allowed. Jesus told me to, to, to do this, to, to kill somebody so that the world, no, no, that's not, that's not of Jesus. It is never allowed. Oh, maybe I could you know, um, hurt a few people along the way just to teach them a lesson, nope. Maybe I could humiliate somebody because that's how we're gonna teach them the lesson. Nope, that's not of Jesus. Is violence is never allowed in the name of Jesus. The second application. Nonviolence is not a sign of weakness. Nonviolence is not a sign of weakness. They're like, oh, you mean we're just gonna stand around and do nothing and wait for people to slaughter us? That sounds like we're weak. What we discover in the following verses in the book of Revelation chapter 19 is that after this, he just takes the devil and throws him into the lake of fire, right? Basically saying, look, I do have the power. I choose not to do it. I'm actually restraining my power to make sure that love is what reigns in this world. Maybe it takes even more power and more strength to restrain yourself from violence. And if you look at all the imageries that we've seen so far, the lamb who is slain has seven horns, perfect power, right? He casts the devil into the lake. He uses the word sword, like, when he, when he um, comes in and finishes the whole war, it says that a sword comes out of his mouth. These are words. In the form, like, it, he's so powerful, he just says something and it happens. Like, there's nothing in the book of Revelation that depicts the lamb being weak. So, nonviolence is not a sign of weakness. And here's the third application he came up with. Unless it acts like Jesus, it is not Christian. If it is not enemy loving, if it's not sin forgiving, it's not, if it's not self-sacrificial, it is not Christian. If it does not look, smell, taste, feel like Jesus, it is not Christian. I think we're living in a world now where we feel like effectiveness is the mark of Jesus, right? Like, oh, if your church is 500 people, then Jesus really must be with you. Or because I could reach 20 people in one day when I evangelize or if I preach or whatever, oh, that must be of Jesus. It could be, but if you're neglecting the characteristics of Jesus, we're willing to cut corners so that we could achieve greater good in this world, that's not of Jesus. Did you know in the Bible and never, if you read the New Testament, read it for yourself if you want to, the entire New Testament, you'll never ever see Jesus or Paul or anybody say that you have to be effective for the world. It doesn't even say that we have to change the culture for Jesus, it doesn't even say that, right? It says that we need to be faithful. As a matter of fact, Paul the Apostle says the exact opposite. He says, I want you to live simple lives, working with your hands, loving God, loving your enemies, loving your neighbors. We're not here to build an empire for God. So unless it acts like Jesus, it is not Christian. The very defining factor of who Jesus' followers are is that they are the people who know how to love others really, really well. And if you're not doing that, that is not Christian. Amen? All right, let's pray.